I stand for justice and fairness and equity. I don't have the same quality of citizenship that a man does. In the Constitution, Section 42 prohibits discrimination of any form. And somehow the lack of implementation of the law does not in any way give women justice. I feel that there is um, a fear within the menfolk um, of being replaced. Welcome to Thinking Through with LJ. The topic today is manifestations of violence and the implications on gender equity in Nigeria. I'm your host, Leopoldine Jadoni. This episode was produced by Fatma Awadala. My special guest is Mrs. Brenda Uche Anugun, an international development specialist with 19 years of work experience in gender equity and justice. The essential factors to highlight about Brenda's background are that she has a Master's of Law degrees from Loyola University in Chicago. She has conducted extensive research on women's inclusion and gender-based violence, resulting in the data that she then uses to advocate for girls' education. And as we speak, Brenda, while a Nigerian citizen, she's based in South Sudan, volunteering with Give Girls a Chance. Welcome to Thinking Through with LJ, Ms. Brenda Uche Anugo. Thank you so much, LJ. Thank you for having me. From your situation analysis, I want to understand the legislation governing equity participation, representation, and opportunities in Nigeria. First of all, um, since we are talking about gender-based violence, I think I should just start by you know, giving a short definition of what it is. Uh, gender-based violence, which um, I'm going to be calling GBV, um, hereafter. Um, uh, it's a harmful act directed at a person or group of persons because they are perceived to be a particular gender or because of their sexual orientation. And it's usually rooted in you know, what is perceived as uh, a perceived gender inequality. And um, given the fact that uh, all men are supposed to be equal in the eyes of the law, we see this inequality play out in the way uh, certain groups of people are treated in a society. In this case, we are talking about Nigeria. And um, it would be nice to mention that the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is a global uh, milestone uh, document in the history of human rights, um, happens to be the basis upon which fundamental human rights in Nigeria was drawn. And you will find fundamental human rights uh, tabulated in the 1999 Constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. So in terms of um, legislation, we always talk about the Constitution because that is the supreme law of the country. And um, in the Constitution, Section 42 prohibits discrimination of any form on anyone, male or female. And um, when you see that, and then looking at chapter four of the constitution as well, which provides uh, for the fundamental human rights, it will be expected that um, while implementing this, these provisions of the constitution, 
both men or women will be protected alike. However, the same constitution provides under section 26, uh, subsection 2A, that uh, a, man, a woman who is a foreigner, a non-Nigerian citizen, who marries a Nigerian man can register to become a citizen by virtue of marriage. But it does not provide for a woman, a Nigerian woman marrying a foreigner, which means you can only get citizenship by marriage in Nigeria if you're a woman, a foreign woman married to a Nigerian man. A Nigerian woman does not have that sort of citizenship status and so cannot pass on citizenship uh, by marriage to a foreign man, which already is discriminatory. And that goes against section 42 of the same constitution, which talks, uh, which prohibits discrimination of all forms. And there is a legal maxim we used, uh, you know, we used to use at the law school, um, and it is nemo dat quod non habet, which translates to mean you cannot give what you don't have. So by virtue of section 26.2a of the Nigerian uh, 1999 constitution as amended, a woman does not have the right to pass on citizenship by marriage to anybody, but a man does. So it shows that the citizenship of women is not on the same class or level as that of the men. And this goes to stoke that feeling of superiority in the men. In terms of uh, legislation, we also have the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act, uh, I will call VAP from henceforth, and it actually prohibits all forms of violence against any person, man or woman. And it goes ahead to uh, mention the classes of violence, physical violence, emotional violence, economic violence. It also mentions sexual violence, but I like to lump sexual violence and physical violence together because any act on my body is physical, no matter how it is, uh, um, it is applied on me. So um, it prohibits it. And uh, you can see that even though it prohibits um, violence on women, we still have cases where you have um, men, you know, uh, becoming violent against women and somehow the lack of implementation of the law does not in any way give women justice. And as a result of that, um, several civil society organizations have come together and decided to do something about it. And they've gone ahead to set up centers where, you know, recovery centers where survivors of domestic violence or any kind of uh, violence can have some sort of uh, um, rehabilitation before they return to their homes. And I must mention that there is no rehabilitation center that is uh, fully government owned, um, at least uh, within the federal capital territory. I so to, um, I want to clarify. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned quite very critical things there to understand for somebody who is not in the field in, in the Nigerian context of the legal framework. Uh, women cannot marry foreigners. It, it's, it's 
it's not fitting into my brain. I'm trying to understand the legal aspect of the human right. Then how are the women perceived in the context of the law? Are they equal or not equal? Perhaps the, the right question is why is that? So let me start with the first thing. Women are allowed to marry foreigners. That's the answer. However, if a foreigner marries a Nigerian man, the foreigner is allowed under the law to register to be a citizenship, to be a citizen, because you do know there's something called citizenship by marriage. It's practiced all over the world. However, if a foreigner marries a Nigerian woman, they cannot apply for citizenship. So which means it is only when you are married to a man that you can qualify to apply for a citizen, which means that this, the quality of citizenship that a man has in Nigeria is different from the quality of citizenship that a woman has. And I see that as discriminatory because we are all supposed to be equal before the law. And if we still go back to Universal Declaration of Human Rights, it says that you know, equal and inalienable rights of all members of human family is the foundation of freedom and justice. So in a situation where it is only a man that can pass citizenship to his partner, it leaves the woman out. It shows that it's either women are not full citizens or the, the quality of citizenship they have is not the same with the man. And that's discriminatory. And this is part of the constitution. And in 2022, just last year, women tried to push forward uh, to ensure that this particular section of the constitution is amended. But when the bill got to the National Assembly, the male-dominated National Assembly refused to pass it. So we have a problem there. And it led to several days of um, uh, demonstrations across the country because women were asking, why are we different? Why should we be treated differently? If we are actually equal before the law, if a man can pass citizenship to his partner, a woman can pass citizenship also to her partner. But this is not the case uh, right now. Is there a political or scientific reason behind the, the decision makers or the policy makers do not ratify that? We, I cannot really uh, understand why the lawmakers um, are against that. Um, but I, from my wealth of uh, experience and the research I've conducted over the years, I'm going to give it a name, which is the masculine fear. I feel that there is um, a fear within the menfolk um, of being replaced. So um, they are doing everything they can to get women suppressed to a certain level, and they keep on dominating the society as they have always done. And Nigeria, of course, is a patriarchal um, society in general is been dominated by the men. The political base has been dominated by the men for so many uh, decades. The economic actually power, economic power is also controlled by the men. So you can see why some of them are scared or afraid, have that fear that opening up the space for women to come in may take away their 
position where they think they are. So I, I would personally call it the masculine fear because there is no scientific gain or political gain for ensuring that a woman cannot have the same quality of citizenship as a man. A man will marry a woman, uh, a, a man will marry a woman and the woman takes his name, but the woman cannot be seen as someone from her husband's um, family or um, her husband's uh, the state. She will always be seen as someone from another state, but she will take his name. Their children will be the man's children from the man's state, but the man, the woman cannot be. So it, you know, it brings up that issue of why is it that we are treated differently? Um, is it because um, they fear that if women come into the same them, there will be some sort of competition? We are not so sure about that, but I, I term everything masculine fear. And the drafters of the constitution, I think they know what they're doing. And it is all about, you know, dominating uh, the space, the political space, I guess. That's why they ensure that um, the women's citizenship is not on the same level as the men's citizenship. I quickly ran um, uh, statista.com search website just to, to see how many women there are. And, and I find on, on their page, the data from 2021, there's a slight difference. And it appears that women are a majority here. It's reporting to be somewhere around 1,107.8 million, uh, that those are male, and 105.57 million. So there is a slight difference, a close proximity to equal. Um, from this 100 and 105 million women, the data from 2021, obviously, it may not be as accurate as the official census, but it gives a picture. What does that say in terms of quantity of people who are supposed to be represented in both sides? Now, I want to understand in a humanistic and the legal approach, since you are also advocating to influence these policies and law in the ground. It's a side question, I know, but because of what you just mentioned, it, it, it clicked. Okay, so in terms of population, the last time there was an official census was in 2006. And at that time, women constituted about 49% of the population, meaning that as of 2006, we had more men than women in the country. Now, this was the last census of official. Every other figure we have been seen uh, by so many think tanks or maybe uh, international organizations, those are um, estimates. Uh, they estimate that Nigeria is more than you know, 200 million people. It's all estimates. So the last census was in 2006. And according to the last census, women constituted about 49% of the population. So I would want to hold on to the last census because that's the official number we have up to today. Every other one has been estimates. So in terms of that, when you get down to representation, that is very poor. I would call that, um, you know, based on 49% and what we have 
let's say, at the parliament level, the National Assembly. The National Assembly, we have about 5% of all the members female. Now, that is very poor compared to 49% of the population. I, I, I do like one of the um, theories uh, postulated by, uh, by a political scientist, um, Madam Professor Fenichel, and she did say that equitable representation means that the percentage of people we have in a society should mirror the percentage of people representing them. So if we have about 49% of women in the society in terms of population size, we should have about 49% of members of the, the parliament at least, you know, becoming women. In that way, that will be equitable representation, but that's not the case. So clearly, when it comes to countries where you have equitable representation or near equitable representation, Nigeria does not make the cut. We have about 5% of women in the National Assembly, and that is why whenever any uh, bill that concerns the welfare of women come to the National Assembly, it is easily thrown out because the majority is male. And when you have a group of uh, men who feel that they are, uh, there's a plot to replace them, that masculine fear, that replacement theory that they have been carrying in their minds, they always ensure that there is no woman coming into the space and there is no law passed, especially to raise the standard of living of women. Perhaps that is the way um, they need women to be in order for them to control, uh, to continue the control that they have in the country. Surely that has um, a great deal of an influence in how the society is organized and in how people perceive each other in the day to day. And from your field experience, perhaps you would want to help us understand that what about the social norms? Uh, how do they contribute for this discrimination against women in Nigeria? Uh, perhaps looking into these norms that, in a way that they impact their participation. Yeah. Okay, so culturally, um, girls are raised to believe that their place is at the home. Now, that is the basic um, training you are given as a girl uh, growing up in, you know, in um, a moderate uh, setting in, in Nigeria. But I will not condemn that because there's nothing wrong with anybody teaching you some domestic skills, which may help you when you grow up to be an adult. However, when you confine a girl to that space, they grow up feeling, grow up to be women, feeling that they are domestic in nature and they can't think outside the box, they can't be professionals. So what I advocate for is for any family raising children, men or women, to take them through the same kind of training. If we, girls are being trained to be in the kitchen, guys, boys should be trained to be in the kitchen as well, because those domestic skills will also help them when they grow up to be men and, you know, and vice versa. And when uh, boys are asked to go outside to play football, girls should, be also, should also be allowed to play football or whatever sport that they want to. 
I mean, we have seen uh, football teams, female football teams, winning accolades for their countries and they are being celebrated all over the world. If they were all being pushed to the kitchen, we wouldn't have the female World Cup, would we? We wouldn't have the likes of Serena uh, Williams and you know and her sister and Coco Golf and the rest of them if all girls all over the world were pushed into the kitchen. So girls should be taught domestic skills, yes, and other skills so that they can now grow up to become whatever they want to be. We've had professionals, you know, who are writers and have won accolades by writing. Uh, chief Chimamanda Adichie, I call her chief because she's now a chief. She, she has won so many accolades just by writing. Has she been pushed into the kitchen and kept there? I'm not sure she would have picked up the pen. And we also have um, um, entertainers in the music industry. We have the likes of Tiwa Savage. We have Thames, who just won a Grammy. Have they been pushed into the kitchen and kept there? Maybe they won't have started writing music or playing music or singing. You know, so that's what I believe. That's what I advocate for, that children, irrespective of your gender, should be taught all the skills. And having women, having girls being pushed into the kitchen and taught how to clean and all that is not bad, but they should not be confined to that. So culturally, that is how they start girls. And when girls are started in that way, they tend to feel that that is where they belong and they grow that way. And that's when the boys that are allowed freedom to do whatever they want, start having the feeling of superiority. And they grow up one feeling less important than the other, one feeling more free than the other, and feeling more superior. So this is something we can curb from the home front, from the family, if all children are given the same kind of training. Manifestations of political violence against women in Nigeria, it's something that triggered my attention when I was reading your profile, especially because of your field research and the work that you're doing right now. If you put together all these political actors, how do they operate looking into the political parties? We know that it's very common in Africa to hear stories about uh, election violence and the, histori the historic dynamics of political exclusion, right? And as you navigate, you might want to, you might situate how the state itself maintains the status quo. Okay, so yes, um, political violence is not alien to Nigeria. And whenever there's a political season, which I call silly season, um, you come across all sorts of silly behavior by politicians and their, their handlers. Uh, right now, it is political season in Nigeria because we're expected to go into general elections this month, February, and uh, concluded by next month. Um, definitely, we, we do have that. We have uh, emotional violence uh, being uh, um, meted on women, and of course, physical violence. Um, if we're looking at emotional violence, we hear you know lots and loads of senseless lies, insults, abuses, and such. Um, when you have such uh, rhetorics that are, are demeaning, especially to women. It, those kind of rhetorics hurts us. And I'll give you an example. Uh, sometime in August, 2022, a sitting state uh, uh, governor went on national television and talked about where um, a particular woman who is supposed to be running against him 
for uh, a Senate ticket, actually sent him a text message asking um, him to give her money so that he, um, she would step down for him. Now, such um, allegation can be damaging and smearing. And we women do not like um, such, such insults and such a thing can cause emotional uh, um, damage to anybody who who is uh, who is the the person accused of asking for money, and it, it goes beyond that. It goes to physical violence. There is um, a former member of the House of Representatives. Now, this is a ranking member. She had served four times. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the fifth time she wanted to run, she said she had to step down because someone put a gun to her head. So right now she's out of office. A woman in the northern part of uh, the country, um, Victoria Chintex is her name. She was executed in the presence of her husband. And that was after she concluded a rally where she talked against the opposition. In 2019, during the 2019 election, a woman leader was burned to death in her own home because she held opposing views as she was supposed to because she was part of the opposition. So we've had cases and cases of women being uh, harassed, women being abused emotionally and killed during election season. And these things are done by politicians. And for a woman who is trying to run for office, and then you see a woman killed, you, you definitely don't want to run for office. So it's intimidating and it could dissuade any aspiring politician, female politician from running for office when you see such a thing. So we've had such a thing, um, such things happen. And as we are now in silly season, we're expecting that perhaps before the election, so, so many of these kind of things will happen. We'll hear so many cases, but we pray and hope for a peaceful election. Um, but um, these things happen during political season. And in terms of uh, violence by state actors, um, we've had numerous cases recorded, you know, you can find them online of, you know, the police, arresting people and having to uh, assault them and in some cases assault them to their dead. In fact, for women, there were women who were arrested um, last year and they were arrested because it was, um, it was alleged that there were um, street walkers, um, there were prostitutes. Now, if you arrest prostitutes because you want to cleanse the society, it is expected that perhaps the very next day you charge them to court or something. No, um, according to reports, in the middle of the night, some of those women were assaulted, sexually assaulted by the police who went to arrest them in order to cleanse the society. You know, this case was reported and you can find cases of it online. But then nothing was done. What we were told was, oh, investigations were ongoing. Until now, we've not heard about anybody being punished for doing that. We've had cases where uh, women are arrested because they are suspected to be friends with suspected um, terrorists. And then when you arrest them, you keep them for months without trial. According to the constitution, you should 
take somebody to court after an arrest within a reasonable time. And in, uh, let me give you an example. In 2022, which was just last year, seven, seven teenagers were arrested in a southeastern uh, state called Imo State. One of them, a 15-year-old, four months later was found to be pregnant. Why would you, first of all, arrest somebody on suspicion of being a friend of somebody suspected of terrorism? Because according to the constitution, you are innocent until proven guilty. So if you are arrested for terrorism, you have to be tried first before you are guilty. So the person is still being suspected of terrorism. And then you arrest um, teenagers who are playing in the evening because you suspect that they are linked to these terrorists. And four months after, one of them turns out pregnant. First of all, any girl who is below the age of 18 in the South is a child. And if the child is pregnant, that means some adult is guilty of statutory rape. But when what we were told is the matter was being investigated and we never heard anything from it you know, from the police. So when you see people who are supposed to implement the law, being the ones who go about uh, perpetuating crimes, I mean, it's so disheartening. It's actually so disheartening. There's also a particular uh, person who was also arrested because she was suspected to be a friend of, um, of a terrorist, Miss Glory Okolie, that's her name. She was kept for more than 100 days and no trial. So these are some of the things that they do. And then you ask who then is implementing the law if those who wear the uniform, who are part of the executive, are the ones who are breaking the law blatantly to our faces and nothing is being done about it. So yeah, these, these things happen and they keep happening. And I keep saying that the biggest problem is the failure to implement the plethora of uh, laws that Nigeria has. Okay. One last question. Um, what drives the motivation to continue the advocacy against um, gender-based violence while trying to prevent the instrumentalization of women in divergent agendas? Because from what you explained, there is a lot to digest and perhaps someone in the field may face different barriers to where to proceed. I want to understand the motivation um, that you have to keep going. Okay, first, I am a woman and it is my kind that is going through what we are going through. I'm going through it because section 26, uh, 2A of the constitution also affects me. That means I don't have the same quality of citizenship that a man does. So it affects me. Secondly, I stand for justice and fairness and equity. What you do to A, you should be able to do to B. If you don't, then there is something discriminatory about the treatment. So I stand for it because I know it affects me and it affects other women and it will affect unborn children who will be born um, much later who are women. And if we don't do something now to change the situation, it's going to affect innocent 
girls who are going to be born who will become women and will be subjected to the same things that this, we are uh, subjected to, the same kind of treatment. So it's the fact that I want the treatment to end because it just is unfair, it's unjust, and it's not equitable in any way. You cannot treat someone differently because of something they had no control over. And you cannot punish somebody just because they are women. Let me be thankful of your time and your intellect, Mrs. Brenda Uche Anugo. Thank you so much, LJ. I do appreciate it. We discussed manifestations of violence and the implications on gender equity in Nigeria, an episode produced by Fatma Awadala. And just like that, we made it. One more episode of Thinking Through with LJ. Please be sure to subscribe to our website, ubuntulist.com. U-B-U-N-T-U-L-I-S-T.com. And obviously, I ask for your donation and share across your networks.